Welcome to Bio, a podcast produced by the Biographers International Organization. Bio is devoted to promoting the work of biographers and advocating for biography as a genre with the support of biographers and biography lovers worldwide. I'm Bio member Lisa Napoli in Los Angeles. On each episode, we'll talk with a biographer about his or her work. This time, the journalist and writer Vanda Kreft. Her book is titled The Man Who Made the Movies, The Meteoric Rise and Tragic Fall of William Fox, published by Harper in 2017. As a writer and first-time biographer, Kreft found herself conducting extensive research all around the country. She says she discovered the most important information a biographer can find is information you didn't know you were looking for. I asked her how she chose to tackle the story of a man whose name is synonymous with entertainment. I had been a magazine journalist for a number of years in Los Angeles writing about the entertainment industry, so I was always interested in that general field. And then in the course of that work, I met another entertainment journalist freelance um, named Angela Fox Dunn, and she turned out to be William Fox's niece. And she herself was a very colorful character, um, a really great storyteller. And so she had known Fox when she was growing up. Even though he always kept his home in New York, he would come out to L.A. for months at a time, and she and her mother would go and visit him and spend time with him. So I heard story after story about him. And for the longest time, I just assumed somebody had already written about him because here he is, the founder of a major studio, and still very much a, a strong company. And then I just decided, well, maybe somebody hasn't. Why don't I look into that? And when I did, I realized nobody had, in fact, written his biography. And I was ready to write a book, ready to leave journalism. And so I raised my hand and basically said, I'll do it. And you had no idea how many years were ahead of you, did you? That is true. I did not know that 10 plus years of research and writing were ahead of me. I had a similar experience in that I had an epiphany about writing about someone and there was no archive. I understand you had the same issue with William Fox. It wasn't like there was a William Fox repository somewhere. That is correct. And one would think that the studio would have a lot of the information, but not so. As I recall, they were sort of a bit bewildered as to what are you doing? You know, and initially not very cooperative, shall we say, but I think that's because they really had nothing. They had some papers that dealt with very minor matters from the William Fox era, which was from 1915 to 1930. And they had shipped those off to UCLA, but they hadn't given them to UCLA. So they were never cataloged. They were never arranged. They were just looked like somebody dumped the file cabinets into boxes. And I went through those quite a bit, but there really wasn't anything interesting, not any of those good documents, and almost nothing from Fox himself, just really minor items. So that was a bit of an obstacle. Um, However, given that he was a public figure, there were sources of information. I just had to be more creative in terms of thinking about where would this information be. And indeed, it was scattered really really throughout the United States. So I had to go to many different libraries and archives. There are Fox theaters in so many cities. Yes. And how did you sort of drill away at the places that you needed to go? Because I would think there would be so many. Yes. Well, thank goodness for the internet. 
because that really was a tool without which this book could not have been done. And I think that's one of the reasons it hadn't been done before, was that it wasn't possible to sort of ask the question like so widely, hey, anybody know anything? Or, you know, to put in those search terms and have collections show up in the results. And that was what I did. There were two really key places I would say that I went to. Um, One was Indiana University, where the Upton Sinclair papers are. And in 1932, William Fox had hired Upton Sinclair to tell his story. Fox had just recently been tossed out of his own company, tossed out of the studio after a very, very vicious battle with Wall Street, and he wanted Sinclair to tell the story. So God bless Upton Sinclair. He had a transcript made, 750 pages or so, of William Fox talking and Sinclair not getting a word in edgewise. And he gave or sold it to the university. So there it was sitting there, William Fox's own testimony. Um, You know, there wasn't a whole lot about his early life, and there obviously was nothing beyond 1932. And really what he really wanted to talk about was that fight with Wall Street, which was just one major part of his story, but there were many, many other dimensions. But that was a really key source for me. And then the other really important part was here in New York uh, when I got the Leon Levy Fellowship, which enabled me to come to New York for eight months. Fox had always kept his home in New York. He'd always kept the business headquarters here in New York. And the best source of information that I found were legal records because he loved to sue people and people loved to sue him. And in those files, digging them out, I found really very, very interesting information. I even found some personal letters that a director, that he'd written to a director. They're very emotional letters. Um, They had evidently a very close relationship, and they were submitted as evidence in one of these lawsuits. So that was at the sort of at the local level, and then the National Archives, there were some federal lawsuits, a number of federal lawsuits as well, that I just, lots and lots of documents that I went through. I don't know how I would have written that book without that fellowship from the Levy Center. And we're talking to you in the Levy Center right now. And to shout out the Levy Center, um, you had to apply. It's a competitive fellowship that you won Mm -hmm. with several others. And it allowed you, as you say, to live here for eight months and, I guess, interact with other people who were going through the same sort of excruciating needle and haystack work that you were doing. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about how that informed your work? It was very helpful to meet other biographers and to hear about the issues that they were having and and the problems they confronted and how they solved them and also just to be with you know in the same room with other writers because as you know it's such a solitary process that to be able to bounce ideas off people or um, was just very, very helpful. How did you find the transition from journalism? Mm-hmm. It's not the short-term burst of um, adrenaline that you get when you write a story. You mm-hmm. were toiling away for a long time, yes. not knowing what was going to happen, right? It really felt like the the place where I belonged, because when I was a journalist, I always over-researched things. And I always was in the position of, this is not cost effective. I'm spending too much time researching, but I wanted to know more and more and more. And I always took far too long on that part of the process. So I I think I was really always wanting to be a book writer and trying to force myself into a shorter form. So I don't feel that I really had that much of a problem transitioning because now what I was supposed to do was do a lot of research. 
all the journalism was priming you for now. Yes, well said. <laughs> and so what happens next for you now that the book is out and you've had some terrific reviews, it's been acclaimed after 10 years. Yeah, I would like to do a shorter book, <laughs> and I think I will. Um, also, I, I don't have a specific idea nailed down. I'm investigating a couple of them at this point, but within the parameters of a shorter book, one that would maybe take, you know, three or four years or so, uh, also in the film industry. The Fox niece, uh, did you ever, since she sort of helped spark this idea, Mm -hmm. was she helpful to you? Was she, I find that a lot of times you'll go to somebody who's close to what you're working on and they'll say, well, maybe I should write a book. And I always say, please do, because that would make my life easier. (laughs) How'd that go with her? Yeah, initially she did want to, participate in writing it and she had tried in years past to write it but she was too close to the subject and that was an awkward um, sort of negotiation but then you know sadly she became ill Mm -hmm. and she passed away so that issue kind of removed itself. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking about going to the Fox company Mm -hmm. I wondered if people there even were aware that there was a Mr. Fox. I think they were somewhat aware there were pictures here and there, but I don't think they could have told you the story about him. But I should say that toward the end, after the book was published, they have really been wonderful. They hosted an event for me there, um, set up a table outside the commissary, and we had a lot of people come by and pick up the book. And, And it was very, very gratifying to hear the employees who work there come by and say, I'm so glad you wrote this because I've always wanted to know about William Fox. It's really, really a beautiful studio, and it's very well preserved from his era. So they live with that history day in and day out. And so there was that curiosity. So that was a really gratifying experience. I would think so. Yeah. And in terms of how you look at LA as somebody who covered the industry, Mm -hmm. the entertainment industry, how has knowing all that you know, changed how you look at Los Angeles and New York and the entertainment industry? Talk about a broad question. But Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that immersing yourself in someone's life like you have, hasn't informed how you look at the industry, at least, if not Mm -hmm. these two particular cities and Mm -hmm. a Fox theater anywhere. Yeah, I think what it gave me a greater appreciation for was how difficult that business is, how much insecurity and instability there is, and that just because you have a good idea or you're talented is not by any means enough. There are so many other factors that determine success and also really how integrated that business is with the social, political, and economic structure and context. And that was something that I think I had not appreciated before doing the research on this book. But also because this is a foundational period of time for the entertainment industry. That Mm -hmm. has to have been mind-blowing, even though obviously you were aware of it. But Mm -hmm. it's got to be, the context must be really interesting, I would think. Yes, I did an awful lot. I think that was one of the big reasons that it, it, it took so long was that I would realize wait a minute, I don't understand why Fox is making this decision. And then I realized I can't understand it unless I look behind him and see what are the other forces that he's dealing with. And then it 
really became clear as to why he's making those decisions. And those forces, right, were cir- were circumstantial with that time. Is there? Yes. Can you point to one in particular? Just curious. Um, one of them goes beyond his time in the film industry, but it's an event that so far had really shaped the perception of Fox, and that is that in 1936 he bribed a federal judge. He falsely filed for personal bankruptcy, and he bribed a federal judge and subsequently went to prison. So if you just hear that level of the story, you think bad guy, criminal nature, and uh, not somebody we should really be that interested in because if he was that way then, he was that way before. However, when I got to that place in his history, because before that he'd always been really kind of Mr. Law and Order and really doing things you know, correctly, following the law, And then when I looked at, well, what's the context, that changed everything because the federal judicial system was really quite corrupt at that time. And again, how does everything fit together? It really goes back to a great extent to the stock market crash because these federal judges had lost their shirts. There were a couple of them. They lost their shirts in the stock market crash. How are they going to pay back the banks? They owed money to the banks and this particular one, he'd actually been corrupt for quite a while, but he solicited the bribe from Fox. So it's different than Fox, you know, handing him $25,000 wrapped in a newspaper or whatever. That was actually a it's actually like 12500 the second time in a newspaper, and being the instigator of it. And then another key piece of the story is that when they're all caught because the FBI was aware they were doing a big investigation of federal judges across the country because this really was a rampant problem. And they're caught, and Fox confessed. He, he didn't you know, waste time. He understood that his family was going to suffer, that probably his daughter and his wife would be pulled into this, and one of his friends, and he did not want that to be the consequence of them. So he steps up to the plate, and he confesses. Then he became the star witness in two trials against both the judge and the judge's bagman, who had been an intermediary. Mm-hmm. And why does Fox go to prison? The other guys don't because the judge was so crooked. He was able to fix the juries, and these two juries ended up being hung juries. But the prosecutor, the federal prosecutor, knew that they were guilty. But it was decided we can't go through a third trial. It's too expensive. If you didn't get them the first two times, you're not going to get them the third time. So all of that context information, I think, really changes the interpretation of the event. You know, then he's not this bad criminal who bribed an upstanding judge, led him astray. So, And by the way, you know, the judge took the money and he never bid it back. So... In terms, though, of, of Fox's role in changing how we consume and consumed entertainment oh, yes. at the uh-huh. time, mm-hmm. um, that I would think for somebody like you who'd been covering the industry for a while mm-hmm. and then to sort of dip back into an era that you didn't cover, that must have been interesting, too. I'm, I'm just thinking about it as I'm talking with you about mm-hmm. seeing the Fox theaters and knowing the vaudeville circuit evolving into the film circuit and how that just yeah. indelibly imprinted. America, the yeah, world. Yeah, well, he and he was really the, a primary force driving many of the important steps of progress of the industry. Among them, he was the really the leader 
of the fight against the motion picture patents company, which had tried to monopolize the industry and was actually doing quite a good job of doing that. William Fox was the lone person who stood up. He filed a lawsuit against them, and then he went down to Washington and persuaded the attorney general to file an antitrust lawsuit. And I don't believe that that would have happened had Fox not been behind it, because it was atypical for the types of antitrust lawsuits that they were filing at the time. And Fox helped fund that because the Justice Department was very, very um, underfunded at the time. He provided legal advice. That was a really important step because the patents company was ordered disbanded, legally had to disband. That sets the foundation for the whole studio system in the mid-teens. Uh, he also was one of the driving forces behind the international expansion of the U.S. film industry during World War I. He realized, wait a minute, Europe, which previously had been the leader, they're all fighting each other and they're not making movies anymore. And meanwhile, theaters around the world, and I was surprised at how many countries around the world had thriving exhibition circuits there. So he realized... This is the opportunity. The war is going to end, and, and Europe's going to want to come back. So go in, serve those customers, take the territory now. And he, he was really, I think, the leader in that. And in the late 1920s, the sound revolution, Fox was a driving force again in that. So you really, so, if you want to understand the entertainment industry today, you really do need to understand this history my conversation with Vanda Kreft, recorded on May 19th, 2018, at the Leon Levy Center for Biography in the City University of New York's Graduate Center. To learn more about bio or to hear other episodes in our podcast series, please visit our website, biographersinternational.org. I'm bio member Lisa Napoli in Los Angeles. Enzo De Palma created our theme music. Until next time. Thanks for listening and enjoy your day.